So when I say the word responsibility, what comes to mind? For me, I immediately think, what am I responsible for? All right, so that's a good question. What are you responsible for? And I know the list starts going in your head. I, I know that I'm responsible for myself. I have to get up in the morning. I have to get dressed. I have to eat. I have to take care of myself. I'm, I'm responsible for a job. I have tasks. I have obligations. I have assignments. And I, I have to complete those things. There's a lot of responsibilities that go into my job. And I'm responsible for my family. I'm responsible for my children and for, for my spouse, for their well-being, to, to raise my children um, under the watch of God and, and to, to raise them right and to figure out how to do schooling this fall and make sure that they don't fall behind. And I'm, I'm responsible for my home. There's a, been a lot of storms recently, and I have to make sure that the home is protected and, and not damaged. And, and I recognize that we are giving a, sort of a big picture view of responsibility, but there's obviously a lot of things that fall under that, where it's like at some point you have to pay taxes and, and find car insurance and, and go to the dentist and go to the doctor and, and return the library books. And, and, and it just feels like responsibility is overwhelming a lot of the times. But the funny thing is, is even though we have those responsibilities, for some odd reason we like to add the burden of other responsibilities to our plate. You know, there's, there's always this temptation to uh, change other people's opinion, especially when it's online, to make sure to let that person know that they are wrong and I am right and they better tell me I'm right and make sure that they recognize that they were wrong, even though their opinion is not my responsibility. Or the future in which we, we start stressing and, and thinking about what's, what's going to happen tomorrow and, and how can I change it and how can I affect it. And, and you know, I, I made mention of this already that, that right now the air conditioning is not working in our sanctuary. And, and I knew that there was problems and that we were having mechanics come out and fix it and try to fix it. And, and there's this temptation for me throughout the week to go, what happens if there's no air? What will I do? How will I fix it? What will get accomplished? How, this is all on me. This is all my responsibility. And yet me just thinking about whether or not there will be air on Sunday morning doesn't change whether or not there will be air on Sunday morning. For some odd reason, I take on the responsibility of figuring out the future. And on the opposite side of things, there's actually responsibilities that we have that we don't accomplish or, or that we avoid. Do you know that there's monster doctors out there that tell us we have to get 20 minutes of physical activity every day? I mean, they tell us that's good for our health. And, and I recognize that that's true, that, 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 you, that you take care of your body and it will be better for you in the future and it prolongs your longevity. And yet, I avoid it. I don't do that, even though I would say that's probably my responsibility and no one else's. At times in our relationship with God, it's very similar. We take on responsibilities that aren't ours and we surrender responsibilities or avoid responsibilities that are ours. So what's going to help us this morning is to remember the idea of responsibility. And we're going to answer two questions this morning. Is, is first, what is, what is God's work? And then what is our role? So first, what is God's work? To recap, Zerubbabel is the governor of Judah. He's in charge and he's, he's called to lead this small, insignificant group of people, this, this city of Judah that, that they had just returned from exile 18 years ago. And, and now he's called to lead these people. And for 18 years, he was called to rebuild the temple of God, but he had avoided it. He had let it slip by. And now, 
as we get to the end of Haggai, we, we learn that Zerubbabel is actually doing what he's supposed to be doing, which is to rebuild the temple. So what is Zerubbabel's responsibilities as governor? It's a lot, right? It's, it's the weight of the people. At times, he will have to issue taxes in order to raise money for the kingdom, whether it's for the temple of God or whether it's for his palace or the, or the city walls. At times, he will have to be judged. He will have to work out and figure out the truth of high-profile cases and determine what is right and what is wrong. He is the commander-in-chief of the military. He is, he is to train up forces to protect the people, and, and that is key here, is that part of his responsibility is to protect the people of God. And now imagine that you're Zerubbabel. You come back from exile. The city walls have not yet been built, and you are a small nation. You are a small people. Now, what do you think is going to happen under your watch when, let's say, a military group comes by, and they have 30,000 men, and they look and they say, hmm, these people only have 1,000 men. Charge! Right? So the protection, the well-being of the people is on Zerubbabel's shoulders. And not only that, he has a ton of responsibilities. In, in that category, but also he has, he has a lot of responsibilities in his relationship with God and in the, in the spiritual well-being of the people because he is a part of the Davidic line, and he needs to actually continue what God had promised to David, which that there would be a king who would build a house in God's name and that will establish God's kingdom forever. And the question for the people, and the question for Zerubbabel is, is he that king? And if he isn't, how is he going to make sure that the Davidic line continues? So what is Zerubbabel's responsibility? It's massive. It's the weight of the people's lives and safety at stake, and, and it's the weight of protecting God's promise. And yet when we read this passage, a radical shift takes place, almost 180 shift, because when God comes to Zerubbabel, who does God ultimately say is responsible? God. Look at verse 21. It says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Verse 22, I will overturn royal th thrones. And yet this doesn't seem right because we just said this is Zerubbabel's whole life. His entire life, his entire responsibility rests on him. He is supposed to lead this nation and, and continue the Davidic line. And yet God says, I got this. God says, I know where it is going, and I know the ending, and it will be good. I will protect you. This small, weak, insignificant nation will actually come out ahead of other nations. So if you were Zerubbabel in this situation, would this bring you peace? You bet. It should. It's, it's letting you know that the ending is great. It reminds me of old 90s movie in which, you know, the ending's always good. It's, it's not going to be bad. It's going to turn out all right. And this is the ending that Zerubbabel knows for his life and for the life of the nation is that God's got this and God said the ending's going to be secure and it's going to be good and it's going to go well for you. So the question for us is why don't we have that same peace then? Because think back to what you're responsible for yourself, your, your family, your, your job, your home. And, and, and I don't have peace about any of that. 
reason for it is because we place the responsibility of those things on ourselves. And it's especially hard when I look at the ways like Zerubbabel in which I failed, in which I was weak, in which I look and I say, I am just this insignificant thing to the rest of the world. I'm not sure that any good can come out of my life. But this passage is for us in which it comes into our life and radically changes everything, in which God comes to us this morning and says, who is ultimately responsible? And his response is, I am. And this is just one of the hundreds of promises that God has given us throughout Scripture that has this underlying current in which it says, I will be the one to complete the promise. I will be responsible. And it's true, we have a role to play, and we'll get to that. But right now, hold fast to this truth that God says, I promise well-being for you. God is saying that the outcome is secure. And in the New Testament, we actually have even more promises from God as believers. It says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. God will be the one who will accomplish his task, his goal, his promises. He says, I will be in charge of my kingdom. And he says to us this morning, you are in that kingdom, and I am in charge of you, and I am responsible for you and for the outcome of your life. And I recognize that it's, it's so easy during this time to be stressed and to be anxious and to be worried and, and to take on responsibilities that aren't ours because we stress and we say, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen? What, what, what will I do if school doesn't start? What will I do if this doesn't take place? How will, how will I be the one to make change? How will I be the one to make it work? But take this opportunity this morning to remember and to hold fast to the truth of what God promises, that he is responsible for the outcome. We don't need to know what will happen a year from now, a month from now, even tomorrow, because God does. And we know the one who holds the future in his hands. And that one is good, and he promises a good future for us. And a question for us is, is, why does God take on this responsibility? Why does God take on the responsibility for Zerubbabel and our life? And it's simply because he chose us. Look back at verse 23. It says, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheol, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. See, our temptation is to think that people have to be morally good or or close to perfect, or, or wise, or smart, or strong in order for God to, to choose them. But what were we just covering in the reign of Zerubbabel? Up to this point, it's been lackluster. This guy let the temple of God just sit there, not being built for 18 years. And yet now, in this moment, God has said, I have chosen you. And he actually does it in a very specific and powerful way. He says, Zerubbabel, I will make you a signet ring. And a signet ring in those days was a ring that a king would hold in which it would have the king's symbol on it. And the king would stamp it in wax and, and use it to approve uh, legal documents or legislation or, or letters to important people. And at times, the king would take the ring off and give it to a scribe to complete what he needed to complete, to, to approve the legislation. 
and the ring represented the king's power and authority. So Zerubbabel has God's power and authority behind him. But even more than that is the significance of the symbol of the signet ring in Zerubbabel's life. Turn to Jeremiah 22, 24. Jeremiah 22, 24. This is a story of Zerubbabel's grandfather. And it says this, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. I will hand you over to those who seek your life, those you fear, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and the Babylonians. This is the story of Zerubbabel's grandfather in which God is telling him what is going to happen to him, to the people, and to the nation. And Zerubbabel knows what it's like to be a signet ring that has been cast off because he saw the destruction of his grandfather's sin and what it did to the people. And he, was, he himself, Zerubbabel, was born in exile. So he knows what it's like to be a signet ring that is rejected. And yet now, God comes to him and says, you will be a signet ring that is held close, that is hold dear. And now, Zerubbabel, you will experience what it's like to be forgiven and to see the glory of salvation. And we, like Zerubbabel, have all experienced rejection in our life at some point. Whether it was on the playground in which you were told that you looked funny or you acted funny, whether it was at your job in which they told you that you were a failure, that you didn't accomplish what they expected from you, or whether it's in your family in which you feel like you are the black sheep, in which you feel like you are an outcast. But what Zerubbabel, what God says to Zerubbabel is the same thing that he says to you this morning, is that you no longer need to wonder if the responsibility is on you, that, that the question of when am I going to be a signet ring that is cast off? When am I going to be rejected? Because instead, God is saying to us this morning that he will be the one who is responsible and that we can be forgiven and see the glory of salvation. And even more than just a signet ring to us, God says to us in the New Testament that through Christ, he will be a father to us and we will be his sons and daughters. And take a moment to go back to those times in which you were rejected, in which you felt like you were a signet ring cast off. And now think about the times in which what would it feel like if you knew, if you knew in your heart of hearts that God would never do that to you? That you would never be called funny to God? That you, were, you would never be rejected and God would look at you and say, you didn't accomplish what I expected? That you wouldn't be a black sheep in the church, but you would actually be loved? Through the gospel, we can experience being a signet ring held close because what the gospel does is, is take us and God says, I know all your weakness. I know everything you've done. I know everything that you are going to do. And I will even take on all the responsibility that you're supposed to have and place it on myself. Because what is the one thing that we were supposed to be responsible for in our lives? We were supposed to be perfect. We were supposed to follow God. And we have already failed like Zerubbabel. We have not built God's temple. We have not built up his people. We have not praised 
him ceaselessly. We have sought the things of this world. And yet God, in this passage today, the same thing that he says to Zerubbabel is the same thing that he says to us, is that we no longer have to fear being rejected because God says, I will take the responsibility on myself. I will place it on my son and my son will go to the cross for our sins. So now that instead of us saying, the responsibility is on me, I have to be perfect, I have to be blameless, God says, no, no, no. That responsibility that was on you is now on me. And what's amazing is that we no longer have to fear being rejected when we sin because we're not going to be rejected when we run to God. God is not going to say, you failed one more time. You are a signet ring cast off. But instead, God is going to say, come closer to me and I will take on the responsibility for that sin. So God is responsible, and he, and he won't reject us for our sin, for the things that we're supposed to be responsible for. But I know now, now all of you are wondering, so what is my role? There has to be something I have to do. And it, if I kind of put on the sarcastic Pastor Mike cap, it's sort of like, okay, now wait. Are you just telling me I can just sit around and, and throw my hands up and do nothing? I mean, come on, there has to be something I have to do. Well, yes, you do have a role, but not in the way that we expect. Because we know that Zerubbabel is going to issue decrees. He is going to send the people to work on the temple. And he did that. He had a role to play. God, God called him to that role. But God did not specifically need him to do that in order for God's promise and for the temple to be rebuilt. Because let's be honest, if Zerubbabel didn't do anything, if he just threw up his hands and, and sat back and lounged, would the temple be rebuilt? Would God's promise be fulfilled? You bet. All throughout history, all throughout the, the Bible, we see God working through people and in spite of people to, be, to fulfill what God has promised. And what God calls Zerubbabel to and what he calls us to do is simply to be faithful day in and day out. God has given us a role to play, but it's not based on our work, it's not based on our performance, it's not based on whether we fail or whether to succeed. So think about this for a second. When, when, when you have a, a teenager and a parent, who is responsible for the house? Sometimes the teenager thinks they are, but it's the parent. And the parent is responsible for the well-being of the home. Now, the teenager is typically given roles to play, and sometimes we call them responsibilities where they're supposed to empty the dishwasher and take out the trash. Now, here's a question for us, though. If that teenager decides not to empty the dishwasher, will the dishwasher get emptied? Trust me, I've worked with teenagers long enough. It gets emptied. <laughs> the parent will not let the house descend into chaos simply because the teenager is not fulfilling their role. It's going to get done. But the teenager is invited in to have a role, to play a part in which they work towards the well-being of the home, the well-being of the family. And this is the same with us. As God is responsible for us all, God is going to get it accomplished, but we are invited in to, to, to have a role for our well-being and the well-being of his kingdom. And what Zerubbabel is called to do and what we're called to do is simply be faithful to the calling that God has given us. To, to not, not be the ones who, who bear the weight of the responsibility in which we say, how is this going to be accomplished? But simply, how, how am I going to be faithful today? How am I going to be faithful to the promise that God has given? 
And God says to us in the New Testament that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. Simply follow him. We are to be disciples of Christ. And, and it's similar to the disciples who followed him for three years. Because imagine for a second, uh, the disciples had no idea where they were headed. They simply followed Jesus day in and day out. They had no idea that they were going to be the early founding fathers of the church. I bet if you went to Peter the first year of Jesus' ministry and said, hey, do you know that you're going to found a church that's going to last 2,000 years? Peter would go, what's church? But that's, what he, that's, that's how God used him to fulfill God's promises. Peter had a role to play. He didn't know what the ending was going to look like. He didn't have the weight and responsibility of a 2,000-year-old church. He simply was faithful. And we get to do the same thing. And again, let me just put back on the sarcastic Pastor Mike cap because I know some of you might be thinking, all right, so the thing's going to get done. The dishwasher eventually gets emptied by someone. Can't I just be the teenager that doesn't do anything and God's promises get accomplished? And the answer is yes. But let me challenge you. Is that pleasing? Is that loving? Is that true joy? Because us sitting around, it's not enjoyable. It might feel good for a little bit, but have you ever asked someone after watching four hours of Netflix how they feel? It's not usually like, that was the great use of time. And actually, psychologists, secular psychologists will say that the most selfish people are some of the most miserable people. Because when we actually experience God's love and blessing, that he is responsible, that he loves us, that he won't reject, you, reject us, it actually frees us. It frees us from seeking out the things that will never satisfy, like a teenager just sitting on the couch looking at their phone for hours on end. But it actually, it actually it convinces us, it, it moves us to pursue something that's good. As one author puts it, as we grow in this, we will see our role as not only wanting God, but actually growing in our ability and desire to obey God. And isn't that what true freedom is supposed to be? The ability to not do as I please, but the power to do what is pleasing. And so today, right now, imagine what your life would be if you just surrendered to knowing how everything was going to happen, how everything was going to be accomplished. Surrender to responsibility of the future. Surrender to responsibilities that aren't ours. What freedom would you get in that perspective, in, in your view, in your way of life? And what if instead of pursuing responsibilities of this world and, and of the things that people tell you, you have, to make, you have to accomplish it to make it get done, but instead, what if you just pursued what God calls you to, day in and day out? You were a simple disciple who followed Jesus. What would that look like? How would your life be changed? Let me give you one of the hardest examples for this, for us as a church. One of the hardest things for me as a pastor and for other believers is when we see someone say that they no longer or never have believed in God or that they're leaving the church, that they need to walk away. And I, I don't take this lightly because I, I tell people, especially when they're in membership classes, that if I ever see them headed towards the cliff of sin, I will full-on tackle them and do everything in my power to stop them. 
But even when that's happening, I need to remember, and we need to remember, what is our responsibility? What is God's response? Sorry, what is God's responsibility? And what is our role? In her book, Gay Girl, Good God, Jackie Hill Perry writes about how although she was in a lesbian relationship, she couldn't stop this feeling that God was talking to her. So she calls up a cousin who is a Christian to basically ask, how do I get God to stop talking to me? And she says this, Kaisha, I feel like God is calling me. Okay, why do you think that? Because, I don't know, it just feels like it. Like whatever I do, I can sense God trying to get my attention. Like even when I'm trying to be myself, I can feel how wrong it is. But the thing is, I don't want God. Like I really don't. <sighs> Jackie, I've been praying for you. When you told me you were gay, I blamed myself. Said God, could I have been in her life more? I thought it had to be something I did wrong, but God told me just to pray. When God told me to give you to him, God told me to give you to him and to not worry about it. But I told God how much I loved you because I didn't know how to just let this go. And you know what he told me? He told me, I love her more than you do, and since then, I've just been praying. <laughs> I'm not worried about you, Jackie. God's hand is on you, and he's going to do what he has to do to show you how much you need him. Now, the conclusion of the story is Jackie Hill Perry did see how much she needed God, and now she is fulfilling God's calling in her life. But at the time, her cousin Kaisha had no idea what the conclusion would be. But she knew who God was, knew what he was responsible for, knew that God loved Jackie more than her, and knew she had a role. She left the responsibility to God and was simply faithful day in and day out of her role to be a disciple of Christ and be a light of the world. Have that same peace this morning that God is responsible for all things. He has it accomplished. He has it taken care of. He promised good for us. He especially has taken care of our responsibility of our salvation. And that for us this morning, we simply have a role to be faithful day in and day out. Let us pray.